I'm Betsy Reed, and this is The Discomfort Practice, where I talk to creatives, activists, leaders, scientists, and a host of others about discomfort, about the role it's played in their lives, who they are and what they do in the world, and the value of discomfort in helping us move forward as a society. Discomfort is just the edge of your comfort zone, and on the other side are superpowers. So settle yourself in, and let's get uncomfortable. Well, welcome to a slightly experimental episode of The Discomfort Practice, because it wouldn't really be, well, authentic if I weren't always dancing on the edge of my own comfort zone, which is kind of how I roll anyway. If you know me in real life, I roll around in discomfort. I'm a moving target. But I have with me right now somebody I interviewed, oh gosh, I think it was season two. So we're in season four now. And it's just always a pleasure to have repeat guests because what I'm discovering is as I start, you know, exploring who else to invite, I'm looking back at my guest list and thinking, I want to have most of these people back because times change, things change, we change. And so this whole episode is a little bit of an experiment, a bit more of a lightly guided chat. And in the spirit of that, I'm actually going to let my guests introduce themselves and where they are now. So I'm here with Matisse DuPont, and I will hand it over to them to introduce themselves as they are right now. Hi there, it's Matisse. Thanks for having me on here, Betsy. I love being back on the Discomfort Practice. Thanks so much. Um, so yeah, right now, these days, I am a currently a, an instructor at a university. I am an artist and a painter. I am experimenting in my own personal finances a lot right now and giving myself little challenges and experiments and pushing myself to be uncomfortable with my spending these days. And I don't know, I'm, I'm just a general creative type right now who is putting feelers out in the world to figure out what's, what's up next. Cause I've been, I've been a teacher and I've been working with kids for a long time and I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what else is out there. So that's me right now. I love that. And also, is it okay with you if I just tell people what you were on talking about before? Yeah, of course. So it's sort of like we all have history, right? So part of what prompted me to invite Matisse back was just watching their evolution in their online presence. Because the, the first time you were here, Matisse, we were talking about your work as a gender educator and, you know, being really outspoken about that really out there producing a lot of, you I mean, you're a little bit famous on TikTok for that. So it was interesting to watch you clearly have something going on that made you decide you needed to realign and reconfigure who you were showing up as in public and what you wanted to share with the world. And, and I thought that was a really inspiring thing to bring you on to talk about, because no doubt so many people listening to this are experiencing that in some way in their own lives, you know, sort of People are leaving jobs, finding new jobs, deciding they want to change careers. And this is perennial. It isn't just because of the pandemic, but it seems particularly intense right now. So we just wanted to talk about, yeah, how do you do that when you're actually a public figure, which, you know, if you're in a career where you've been known for doing one thing and doing it well, it can be quite scary to reinvent yourself. So I think this is a really relevant thing to talk about right now for probably most people listening, if they're thinking about how their life really fits them. Yeah. So I want to talk about what's, I'm going to do a riff on my usual first question. Let's talk about a recent uncomfortable situation that has shaped 
who you are right now and where you are right now. So I guess my question is, is a year out recent? How recent are we talking? It's up for interpretation. So wherever you want to land on this. So I feel like when it comes to this conversation of reinterpretation, refocusing for me, something that happened a year ago last May that really just completely shaped it, it, it just had a massive impact on me is that I got a concussion. Um, I had a concussion and it sent me offline after like basically right at the, the prime and the height of when I should have been the most online as a gender educator, right before and during pride season, I suddenly, oh, wow. yeah, basically the time of the year where I make up basically all of my money for the, for the entire year as like an educator who talks about gender and trans issues. Mm-hmm. I was suddenly taken out of commission and couldn't take on any gigs. I couldn't do anything. I was fully just out of it right in the middle of the time where basically my career was ready for like step two, let's do this again. Let's go. Let's have another pride season. And then I suddenly couldn't look at computers. I couldn't look at my phone, which is as an online content creator, my phone is where I lived. Mm. And suddenly, suddenly my whole everything was just flipped at the time it was really stressful and very uncomfortable but in the end i feel like all it is is silver linings at this point i'm so happy that that happened i'm not happy obviously but like um it really gave me time to really reevaluate what i want to do not that i was able to act on it immediately i think that's the thing too about change is knowing what you want to do isn't the same as being able to act on it quite yet. I'm still phasing out of a previous life, almost <laughs> of a previous era. I'm it's, it's I, but you know, sites are set on new horizons and it's still just, but it's take, it takes a long time to go from. And, but this concussion was very helpful in like giving me the chance to reset my life. Cause for a month I couldn't do anything. Except for paint. I painted a lot. I, I paint a lot now, actually, still. Wow. So it it was a forced redirect. But I, I guess part of it is, how did that actually feel at the time when you were in the midst of that not being able to do the thing that you'd planned on giving you financial security for the year that had, you know, reflected your identity that probably was about like thinking, this is what I need to offer the world. How did you feel before you could look back and see that it was only silver linings? How did that feel at the time? Genuinely, it was a relief. (laughs) I was so exhausted and I did not want to do a round two, round three of being like a very public facing educator, but I was prepared to do so because I needed to make money and I needed to survive and have a career. But I was so burnt out and exhausted on putting myself out there into the world in such a, yeah, I was tired of being known so thoroughly. And it was, I honestly felt like it was a huge relief. Um, But at the same time, it was a challenge because I was also somewhat felt like like I was almost addicted to my phone. I was addicted to the screens. And so I actually, the first week or two, I 
wasn't able to keep off of them. So I actually re-injured myself and I had to go to the ER because, and I had to basically, I extended my own stay of screenlessness by another month or so because I couldn't keep off. It's interesting to hear that it was a relief because that's probably not what most people would perceive of someone who is really good at what they do and they're offering around two. And actually, I think there's some juice there to, to be squeezed further because, yeah, to all appearances, you were just like flying, you know, you're top of your game, ready to offer this to the world. It's meaningful work. It's purpose driven work. It's in alignment with who you were. But then it actually wasn't. So, you know, sort of it's interesting to hear from someone like you that you were kind of probably sending yourself to do this work that you'd built because you thought you had to perhaps, or what was, Absolutely. what was keeping you doing it? Well, it was, it was, a, it was the, the algorithm and the dopamine and the, the, the love of the likes and the comments and the shares and subscribes and follows, you know, that was very much keeping me wrangled in to all of that. I mean, there was, a sense of financial security. It was, it took a lot of work, but I was making pretty solid money being able to be an educator because it, people were thirsty for the information. So I was able to, I was like booking corporate clients and booking individual clients. And I was, it was, it was, I would really was giving back a lot. It was taking a lot out of me, but I was, but I was, I was still in it because yeah, it was because I, I had to, I felt like I had to do it because, you know, I had gotten a master's degree in the subject and I went into student debt for it. Like I have, of course I have to stick with this. What do you mean? Like you can't just, you can't go into thousands and thousands of dollars into debt to just shirk the responsibility that comes with it. Like, but you can actually, um, I just didn't <laughs> think I could. <laughs> oh my God. So many people can probably relate to that because you probably know the term sunk cost theory. It's basically the idea that you've yes. invested so much, you have to keep going, even if you're like, this is really not the right direction. But it explains why corporates sail off a cliff or, you know, follow a leader into terrible ideas, or we do the thing that we have a lot of student loans in because we're like, well, I've spent this much money on it. I should probably do that thing. But it's it's interesting also that something totally out of your control seemingly as getting a concussion really was what you needed it sounds like and i i am of the belief that the universe always sends us what we need that you can't avoid the inevitable so if you don't listen don't listen don't listen to a redirect you're supposed to take the universe will take care of it for you you know it's either like listen to the still small voice or it will send a dump truck <laughs> to run you over yeah <laughs> and it was a dump truck i got for sure yeah I, and it's the thing is I had known for like six months that I was tired of being, cause I set off it. I, there was a really a good two years of being like a year and a half, two years, somewhere in there of being like really public facing gender educator. Right. Um, and the thing is, even to this day, I still, I I'm at Tufts. I'm a, I'm a teacher in the gender studies department. I still give talks here and there. Like I know it's something I'm good at. I'm doing a lot less of it. I'm doing it a lot, a much more in, like focused way. But at the time with the social media component, I really started off earnestly educating my first, maybe nine months or so genuinely where I'm here to share what I know and I am here to give back to the world and I am here to help and then it was very much 
I'm here to build a career off of this, which was great. All that was really lovely. But then about nine to 12 months in, that's sort of that period is when I realized I was chasing the algorithm more than I was being an earnest educator. I found myself doing things for the likes and the comments. I found myself being more argumentative and clickbaity and uh, being more fighty and being the know-it-all who has to stitch on TikTok and tell people why they're wrong about something because that's what the algorithm was rewarding. And I found myself um, no longer being in service to you know, educating. And I was still educating, but it was in a sort of told you so sort of, I know better than you. And therefore follow me, like me, like me, comment on my videos. Like, and that, that's when I started realizing, oh, wow, I am, this is burning me out. I'm no longer here for the right reasons. I'm getting exhausted. So was it that it, the algorithm kind of drove you to inauthenticity or into a part of yourself that, yeah, it's cool to flex that on occasion, but it was completely driving the way that you framed what you were offering the world. Yeah. I think the algorithm, it's really what, especially TikTok, this was what late 2021 into 2022. Uh, I think that's kind of this era that TikTok was, was really pushing stitches where you, where you, because it was a brand new feature where you take five seconds of someone else's video and then you come in and you add on and you add commentary and you, you know, do yeah. that whole thing. And I think this era really, uh, it brought out the worst of me in terms of not relating to people in like a very positive way, but in a way that was driven with combativeness and, or in retrospect, it feels that way. I think at the time I was like, I'm helping. It felt very righteous. Yeah. It's almost like snarky comedy is more popular because people just love a bit of snarkiness, but it doesn't necessarily feed our, our higher vibes, <laughs> does it? No, definitely not. And it, but it, it is that exact same thing. I was like, I was being snarky and, you know, I was also like, I don't know. I was just, I was, but I think the real thing was I was tired of like having to say the same thing over and over again. And I was tired of having to go back to the 101 level every time I wanted to engage with someone new. Um, and I, and I didn't listen to that, that burnt outness. I mean, it really only took me a year and a, a year and a little year and a quarter or so to get burnt out on being a content creator. Cause I was going so hard. I was like making three, four, five videos a day. It was, it was a lot at sometimes, you know, um, so I did the dopamine hit and the way that the, well, the way that social media and our devices are designed to be addictive. So you just kind of got caught up in the hamster wheel of that because you were creating very valuable content, no doubt, you know, it, it resonated with people, which is why you kind of blew up on TikTok. But I kind of want to draw the parallel for people listening who are like, I am not a TikTok influencer, but it's, you know, being driven by the likes, the dopamine hits of, you know, seeing the likes, the comments and all of that, you know, it's really not that different from being driven by the security of a salary and a mortgage and kids and thinking that you can't change what you do, even if you're burned out, you can't listen to yourself because 
there's too much writing on it, or you're, you're addicted to the security of something. And I think this is just where it's a really useful parallel. So people aren't like, eh, I can't relate to this. Yes, you totally can. What, what addicts you to your job? What addicts you to stepping out of your comfort zone? What keeps you from realigning yourself based on the little, the little knowings, the little voices that you have, because there might be a dump truck waiting for you if you ignore those voices long enough. And I think that's why I saw the parallel and I was like, oh, Matisse, come back and talk about this. Yes. Yeah. The, the, which it's just, which numbers are you caring about? The numbers in your bank account, which are, you know, just at this point, digital little numbers. It's not like anyone's very few people are paid in cash these days. Right. Yeah. And it's like little paper, little, little digital numbers on your bank account or the little digital numbers in your likes and comments and your notifications, especially when the numbers in my bank account were tied to the number of likes and comments and shares. Like the more I got the likes and the comments and the shares, the more I was booked. Right. So there was a direct correlation. It, it was career stability in those. Um, but but I'm glad I'm not up to that anymore. And I, the concussion really took me out of it. You know, there was a good, there was a good six months where I knew I was tired and I was trying to make more creative content. In addition to all the gender content, I was like making makeup videos and things like that. I look back at the era and I was like, oh, I was so ready to move on, but I couldn't allow myself. It was like half creative things, half gender commentary, which I think is about when, when we found each other. I remember yeah. correctly. Yeah. Because I remember seeing uh, makeup videos and being like, these are cool, but they're not like the other stuff. So I wonder what, yeah, I was just curious about, you know, what was going on there. And then you really transitioned kind of hardcore into saying, I'm, I'm not going to do this anymore online, basically. And, you know, you focus on your art now and your creative stuff as your, what you put in public. So I want to talk about the intuitions and the reclaiming and, how how you've revalued those as you you know got hit by the dump truck of a concussion and had to be you know forced detox and sort of what have you rediscovered and, and reclaimed about yourself as a result of that deep deep discomfort i think it was my love of art that really came out i always loved art i love museums museums are my happy place i always used to say that i'm not a particularly religious or spiritual person but i think i've I think I can relate and empathize more with people's spiritual practices when I'm in a museum. Like, the, I also felt that way when I was 18 at Lady Gaga's concert. Uh, you know, just like, I was like, oh, this is what a sermon, this is what a good sermon feels like. I understand again. Okay, got it. Um, uh, but as someone who is just really drawn to creative practices and artistic practices. I think needing something that was not on screen and was just in real life and also being uh, really burnt out on cooking. Cause you know, the, like spending a year, year and a half inside cooking three meals a day. I was so tired of cooking at that point. That's pandemic stuff. But, um, <laughs> um, so I was like not cooking and I was, I needed art. So I started painting again and I started painting with acrylic inks specifically because they have these beautiful qualities. They are, they lay down with opacity and thickness like an acrylic paint, but they're in fluidity, hyper 
thin and fluid and watery. And they they act like watercolor, but they don't. And they act like acrylic paints, but they don't. And they're just this perfectly in-between medium that I'm obsessed with. <laughs> I'm going to have to try them out because I love acrylics myself. Yeah, acrylic ink is where it's at. It's um, And only one brand I know makes them. It's Liquitex. Um, and what's great about Liquitex too is all of their pigment colors across their different mediums are consistent. So you can get also the same exact color of gouache and acrylic ink and they're the same. Then you can like blend and mix them and the colors are going to be stay uh, stable. I don't, I'm not one for mixing colors, which is really funny. I like color out of the bottle because I love how vibrant it is. Yeah. Oh, I love mixing color. It's like my favorite part of painting. I don't know why. I just like mixing colors. It's my ritual before I start painting. Yeah. I like that though. You're just like, nope, I'm purist. I like the straight up, whatever it comes out of the bottle as. I think I like knowing this is like hooker's green hue. Like I know the name of this. I know this is exactly what it looks like. I like its unadulterated form and I like putting it next to other things. I like layering and I like things in adjacency, but mixing doesn't get the consistency for me, which I like. Mm. I love this. Cause this also is like, cause I, I started painting. Well, I don't know if we're, I don't even know how to say things about the pandemic during the pandemic, after the pandemic, are we still in a pandemic? Probably. But I started painting because my partner is a painter. And one day when I was in the studio, he came up and was like, here you go. And just handed me paintbrushes and some paper. And it's become such a mindful, but also connection with myself practice. And that's what it sounds like it's for you. Yeah. What does it give you about yourself? Well, it's just, it's time to, to just sit with my thoughts, I suppose it's sort of, it's very meditative. It's got a meditative quality to it, which I'm sure everyone and their mother has said about painting, but it does. It's, it's very true. I know sometimes things that are cliche are true. And I think painting being meditative is one of those things. Um, I, for me, I also deal in abstractions. I, I don't really try to paint things. I just, try to be inspired by my tools which is why i like using like pure colors because i like to be inspired by exactly like the the stopper like the bottle with the little you know the this the dropper stopper it looks like a scientific chemical like agent almost and i just like being inspired by the tools and the colors on hand um I love that because it's also a good testament to just the value of things that people would maybe write off as hobbies. I mean, kind of what we're circling around a lot here is actually doing the things that you love and valuing them because you love them. And like, as somebody who's, you know, been an influencer, you literally did make money from the thing that you loved and being good at it. But then also you've, you've changed that. And one of the questions I sort of jotted down in advance and I think is relevant now is, can you change without changing yourself entirely? You know, what is, where's the, the boundary of change where you come closer to yourself rather than losing yourself? And one of the moments when you are ready to put parts of yourself away for a while, at least, you know, can you change without changing yourself entirely? I think it's impossible to change yourself entirely. 
at all, or at least all at one time. I think you could slowly over time change at one piece for another and one piece for another. And I think it is absolutely possible for people to become completely different people. But I think it's a piecemeal uh, Jenga tower of an experiment here. So I, I definitely believe that people can change. I, I wholeheartedly believe people can and do and change all the time in very big, meaningful ways. But I think it just takes time. And I think it takes, it, it's piecemeal work. It's like bridges. It's like, it's like fixing a bridge. You can't do the whole thing. You have to do it one lane at a time. And it slows things down when you want to repair a lane of a bridge. It, it tremendously, but the bridge must function still. I like that metaphor so much. Yeah, because change is constant. And I think we we resist it so hard or we resist the acknowledgement of it so hard just because it's our the way we've evolved to keep ourselves psychologically safe. Because we're like, no, I'll keep going with what I know, because it's what I know. And I, I know where the boundaries of that are. I know where the risks are, but yeah, shutting down the lane of a bridge or, or yeah, you, I remember living in Scotland and they have this big bridge across the, the Firth of Forth and they finished painting it and then they have to start over. So it takes so long to paint it that by the time they're finished, they have to go back to the beginning again and repaint the whole thing. So it's just like, it's incremental. And I like that actually just treat yourself as like a huge bridge in progress. There's always something that's going to need to be repaired while still functioning. Absolutely. And I think that's when it comes to like career and like my artistic practice this last year, I've been able to still maintain a certain level of educatorness, a gender educator, but I've also been able to supplement and not have to do it so intensely by kind of turning my, what is a hobby of painting into an actual, I guess it's more than, it feels more than a side hustle because, uh, but I've made, I've made able to make money. People buy my art and it's, I go to, I go to markets and bring home what feels like a, a week salary in a single market sometimes. And it's like, that's incredible to be able to do that. And I'm not sure I ever want it to be full time. And in fact, the I'm also like feeling like a pivot away from it again. It's been a year and I feel like I feel like this project mm. is time for something new also. Like I feel like I've painted my hearts out and I've gotten all the paintings out that I needed to get out. And I mean, I hate to say it, but it's also, it is still for me very much algorithmically driven. Like, like that's the thing is like, did I even change that much where it's really just the content change? I'm, I made art content instead. And now that Instagram is removing their creator, basically their creator fund program. And I don't get any money from making videos about the art. Do I even want to make the art anymore? If I'm not making a video, it's like, if I didn't make a video about it, does it exist? Well, yeah, uh, technically, but yeah, I don't know. That's kind of where I'm at right now. I like that sort of, I don't even know, it's a conclusion, but that thought about actually, it's not that you have changed, it's that you've given yourself space to express different parts of yourself. And I think so often we can be so locked into an identity or, yeah, an income stream because it's solid, it sustains us. Because I can relate to this completely. I have multiple aspects of what I do, lecturing being one of them, but also 
you know, advisory. And it's taken a really long time to allow myself space to be a creative person. And it took the pandemic, stopping all my work to do that, to give myself permission to realize I'm quite a bohemian person. Other people chuckle right. when they hear that. because They're like, yeah, we knew that, Betsy. <laughs> but it took me <laughs> until then to give myself permission to let that emerge and then to understand how much value it had just because of how much it gave me that sustains me to be myself. So I think I like, basically we wove through that question to kind of be like, actually you haven't changed at all. You've just given yourself space to let whatever is part of you emerge when it needs to. And then on to the next part of you that needs to emerge. That sound about right. Right. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is like an artistic practice. I'm like looking right now, there's like a painting I have that I did in college. Like I was a visual artist. I ran a, an art gallery out of my student apartment when I was in college. Like, it's not like this painting came out of nowhere, but it reemerged and it, it, but it came back in a completely different context that it, it was functionally completely different in my life. Like it wasn't a continual practice whatsoever. And it served a very different function and it operated differently in the world that it entered into the same love of creating visual art entered into such a different context that I can't even say that it's the same thing. And like it, it, everything had changed. So even if there are pieces that come in back and forth, it'll never be the same though. It does sort of get swept away. I'm just thinking of sort of cultural narratives and systems that reward us for being consistent in things. Oh yeah. And I sort of think we're failures if we don't keep up a practice and, you know, like, I used to be a professional musician and now because I'm not as good at it, my cello just sits in the corner because I don't want to be crap at it for a while. So I'm just like, okay, put that away. But it's, it's sort of like, we don't allow ourselves to dabble with things or to be like, yes, I am a musician. I just haven't played much in 10 years. (laughs) Um, But yeah, our society or our mentality kind of is like, if you don't do it constantly, if it's not your job, if it's not your, you know, thing you do several times a week or whatever, it's not valid. So I almost wonder if this is a good moment to just be like, how can we shape that narrative for ourselves differently and just be like, I pick it up on occasion and it's fun and I love it. And that's it. That's how I feel about drag right now. Honestly, Mm. pick it up on occasion and it's fun. That's what I do. There was a time where I was going to be serious about getting and doing in drag. I was right before the pandemic, actually, I was... I just finished grad school and I was like, you know what? I think I could do this seriously. Like I could put all of my eggs in this basket and then pandemic shut that dream down because digital drag was a nightmare. <laughs> and a couple of digital drag shows and you were like, no, it's just not the same. Not the same. Not the same. It wasn't the same to do it. It was, I mean, I learned a lot of great skills. I learned how to basically produce and edit my own music videos. That was a great skill to learn how to do. Um, I love knowing how to do that. Um, But these days, I mean, now I just, I produce my own shows. I don't even, I don't do drag often enough to go and be in other people's shows. I just, I have my own show that I, I whipped out and it, like I was able to sell all the tickets and it was great. And I'll just, the next show is in six months and it's not like it's regularly occurring. It's whenever I feel like it. And I'm not even really in drag anymore. Cause I decided to go just by my own name and not using my drag name anymore. Oh, yeah, and yeah, Monstera delicious was my drag persona that, and then it was red herring. And then I was 
just I'm like, no, I, I, I don't. Well, there was a whole other thing too, where it was, I was my, my art self was the other Matisse. And then I was a Matisse and then there was Monstera and it was like so fractured. And I decided this winter, I was like, no, every single thing I do is just under one name. It's all Matisse. Like mm-hmm. no more you? fracturing. Cause it's me. Oh. Why am I fracturing myself into different things? Oh God. If anybody listening to this has ever been an entrepreneur and had to rebrand, I think a lot of us have been through a similar process. Me too. Like I had a consultancy name and then I was like, but it's me. So why am I pretending to be this consultancy when actually it's me and this is what you get? Why am I trying to compete with people who I would describe as navy blue? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I show women people know I'm not navy blue. I mean, I scare people just by showing up sometimes because I'm tall and I wear red lipstick and apparently I have a presence, but it's I love that you actually even the other Matisse that really like dropped for me. I was like, oh, this has been a process of really bringing all these facets of yourself together. And I think a lot of people, including me, can relate to that. Of just like, and like, no, this is me landing in myself, offering myself to the world in whatever ways suit me right now and being free to do that. So I think that's what's really inspiring about your journey is you seem very comfortable in that freedom to let yourself evolve and express different parts of yourself. And I think also probably because of the process and the journey you've gone through with gender, maybe makes you well-equipped to be more adaptable and to be very, very self-aware. And I think that's a gift that all of my friends who are trans or non-binary, I look to them as really, well, wisdom holders about how to navigate complexity and hopefully come into better alignment with yourself. Like it's so powerful. In fact, my most powerful friends, I would say are my trans friends because they've been through this process of knowing and deciding who they are going to be and who they are because they know and they can't deny it any further. So yeah, I I've just been discovering that lately. I just want to be around as many of my trans friends as possible because there's a power and a self-knowledge there that I think is so inspiring to those of us who are seeking to know ourselves better and be who we need to be in the world. So I think that's, that's the lens that also people like you bring that you've gone through a process of really getting to grips with who you are and deciding to show up as that in the world. Yeah, I hope so. I hope that that's something that I'm able to show to the world and also am seen as like a creative person and just someone who is a, like a smart little like light bulb kind of person also like i i think part of it is trying to genuinely feel whole and not be fractured and fragmented by identity is like another really big thing that maybe i can only do, maybe i can just be like yes i can be all of them and just do, and not fragmented because i've been through so many transformations in my life but I really think it's important also to feel like, yes, I can, that's that part of my experience has really shaped me. And also I'm in a place where I'm like, and I am so much more complex and transformative than just the gender part. Like I'm just a changing transformer of a person period. Um, And I want that to be inspiring between like flitting between different forms of art and creative practices and different kinds of content creation, different being able to be interested in many different types of things, like being kind of a bohemian, being sort of a Renaissance person 
And I think transness sure definitely helps with that. But I, I just feel like, and I, I mean, I think that there is something there with the trans experience. I don't want to deny that. But at the same time, it's like that same energy can be tapped into by anyone, I think. I agree. And I, I agree. I'm also finding a real itchiness with labels and I, I don't like lately me too. Just, I'm like, Oh, can we just stop talking about that? But at the same time, I feel like there are still a whole lot of people not, not understanding or considering or in a place where they're able to accept this range that we all can be. So I don't know at what point maybe we'll find it stopped being useful and we can just be like, ah, screw the labels. I just am who I am. This is me today. It doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter what my pronouns are, what my labels are, whatever. We're just going to be, we're just going to be, and you get to be, and I don't think we're there yet. So, but yeah, I'm trying to, I'm grappling with what to do about that too. Cause I'm like, I just, I'm tired of labels, but. I mean, I feel very lucky to be where I am, where in the world that I'm in, in Massachusetts, in the US, and like my little, like I am in that kind of post-identity space, kind of, kind of. Yeah. More so than most people. So it's very much a privilege, like to be able to be able to just like not have to worry about it, you know? And I'm trying to enjoy. I feel like I've given back a lot in my life and I'm trying to enjoy just to enjoy being at ease in a place where I'm not in da- at risk and in danger, which is not a thing that most trans people can say. So I don't want to like wave around and go, la la la, look at me. I'm so, so happy. And, but I'm just trying to rather than fl- self flagellate because I have ease more than most people do in terms of being in a place that's so accepting. I'm just trying to like, well, okay, then I'll be like, I'll be able to do the things I love to do instead of doing the things I have to do. Um, which I think is a thing that most trans people don't get the the joy of doing because not, I mean, I, I want more people to be able to experience that in general, you know, but it, but it comes with a certain amount of privilege, I think. And I, I'm trying to relish it versus live in the guilt of it these days yeah. right now yeah. who knows I'll, maybe i'll come back to my my former catholic guilt self but i hope not in <laughs> fact <laughs> it recently occurred to me that my guilt over my privilege has probably gotten in my way of actually optimizing say the amount of abundance i can pull down because i feel like i'm in solidarity with the people i have worked to advocate for you know in the developing world and people of other colors than mine and other identities. And and I realized this the other day, like I have lived in such guilt over my privilege that I have stopped my own potential, but I'm like, but I would use any of the resources that I draw down as a result of being like, you know, a cisgender straight passing white woman to, to actually make the world better for other people. And I think maybe part of our responsibility as people who are very free is to live the lives we wish other people were inspired or free to live themselves sure. well so recognizing that that comes from some privilege but not stopping ourselves from doing that as a result so that's yeah that's part of my personal process and let's say the last two weeks that realization dawned on me so I'm glad you brought that up because that's a very live thing for me as well yeah so it's we're kind just, of 
Or are we out of time? No, we're circling toward the ending here. And, and I'm going to leave that in, not edit it out, because we're also experimenting with a slightly shorter format for those of you listening. I'm trying to stick to closer to like 45 minutes and seeing how that works, because I think some people like that format. So I guess let's sort of start to lay the groundwork for final thoughts of, you know, what are some, what's some, I want to call it wisdom. I don't know if that'll make you uncomfortable, but what do you want to leave people with as they're potentially considering how to allow themselves to express any part of themselves at any time and to, to switch tracks seemingly, you know, maybe it's about leaving a job or picking up a hobby or allowing themselves to pick up a hobby on occasion or be their creative selves. What do you want to leave people with? I think the idea that change takes time, but not as much time as you think it's going to take. I think a lot can happen in a year, like one year's time can be feel like a lifetime of difference. But at the same time, it's a pretty manageable amount. And so give yourself a goal of like a year. And I think that's something I couldn't have told to the world until now that I'm like 30 and a year doesn't feel quite as long as it once did. But but yeah, it takes time, but not as much as time as you're going to think it's going to take. It's going to it's going to go faster than what you expect. It's a good reminder. A year is both a long time and a not very long time. And as I'm getting older, I'm with you. It just you're just like, wow, a year goes by in an instant, but it's also less of a big deal. I just turned 44 and it just is like, it seemed like such a big number. And I'm like, 44, bring it on. This year is gonna last the blink of an eye. And uh-huh. so much uh-huh. will change. So much will change. Yeah. Well, any final thoughts on top of your final thoughts? Just, I want to say thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on, Betsy. This has been such a treasure and I love coming to chit chat with you. And I'm so glad I got back to come back for season four and congrats on having the podcast running for so long. And thanks again for having me. Likewise, Matisse. It's a treat. And it was so fun to feel safe to experiment with a format and And to have a really rich conversation that also allowed me to sort of feel like, oh, I have some thoughts I hadn't thought of here. So yeah, I really enjoyed just being able to be, I call it discomfort running buddies here of, you know, very live processes. (laughs) Yeah, it is the best. You need some discomfort running buddies in your life. So thank you You again. You You really do. And I have many now. So this is part of the joy of this podcast. It's given me a few seasons to like gather the gang. And in season five, um, I'm going to be talking about, I want a lot of past guests to come back, but to talk about what are the conversations that you can't have? What are the discomfort? You know, what's uncomfortable right now? What can you not express in the world that you want to, you want to have 45 minutes on this podcast to talk about and who do you want to be in that space? So you will be back (laughs) if you want to. So yeah, chew on that for a while and I'll have you back in season Yum. I'm already chewing. Delish. So if anybody has any thoughts on that, please send them to me. Send me some guests. Send me some thoughts. What are the conversations you don't feel comfortable having, but that need to be had or that you want to hear somebody else having or that you want to have? So that's season five. It's going to come up. We'll launch it in September 2023. So it's got a few months to uh, gestate and sort of come to life and grow there. But yeah, I will see you again in season five. And thank you again, Matisse. You are a beautiful human being. You are too. Thank you, Betsy. Thanks for getting uncomfortable with me. If you enjoyed this episode, 
Follow and like The Discomfort Practice wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave me a five-star and written review and share this with other people. Help me to reach new audiences with this idea that consciously practicing discomfort helps us to individually and collectively discover our superpowers and create a society and a planet where everyone can thrive. Thank you so much to my guests all season. Go back and listen to a few more episodes to hear more of them. They are wonderful humans doing amazing things in the world. Thanks to my team who helped me produce this podcast and for those who inspire me through their writing, their conversation, and their support. So that's all from me for now. Follow me on Instagram at the Betsy Reed if you want to get to know me a bit better, some of my thoughts. And in the meantime, stay uncomfortable.